Hey, this episode of Metric is brought to you by folks like you who are able to support this and other projects on patreon.com slash libux, L-I-B-U-X. Patreon's a really cool way that you can support the people whose work you like, um, writers, podcasters, artists, etc., who are otherwise making this content out of their own pocket. And that's what I do. I do two podcasts and write regularly what I think are pretty insightful posts about the user experience and design. I've also been lately trying to expand what it is that blog does. In February, I put together our first ever free LibUX community webinar with a UX expert from a Fortune 500 company, and we've got others set up to follow up over the summer. I've also decided that I want to curate really good content from really good guest writers, but I don't want to do that kind of blog core exposure thing. I want to pay them. LibUX and by association metric doesn't make any money except through your donations, which helps take care of my basic expenses so that I can use that money and put it toward new content creators. I'm trying to make LibUX grow into something kind of cool, and I would love your help. So if you think you can throw a dollar a month my way, that would be awesome. Patreon.com slash L-I-B-U-X. Lots of other cool perks there. Exclusive content, raffles, stuff like that. All right, enough of that. On to the show. Hey, it's me, your boy, Michael Schofield. It is the Tuesday after Easter weekend, and I'm getting to this podcast a little late. Uh, it was Easter weekend. My usual go-tos were, you know, busy. I was a little busy. And uh, so what I'm going to do is try to crank this out Tuesday morning over coffee. I make that point for a reason. I'll talk about it in about 10 seconds. And hopefully get it published Tuesday evening. So uh, cross your fingers for me. I'm going to try something new that if it goes well, I am going to uh, pull out of my hat every so often in times like this when I don't have a guest or I really haven't written a substantial article that I think is worth reading. There are a few, especially a few kind of good Patreon exclusives that you might want to check out on LibUX.co. But um, it's been a while. I've been making podcasts instead. Um, I am having a major life transition with regard to my job. I'm going to, um, I'm not sure when I'm going to announce that, but uh, soon, soon, Um all I'm going to say to my contingent of listeners who are from the libraries and higher ed niche is that uh, I'm leaving libraries. I'm, I turned to my resignation at the end of March, and uh, I'm starting my new job May 1st. So more on that at a later time. I'm pretty excited, but I don't really want to say anything just yet. So today we don't have a guest. I don't have a post. 
So what are we going to do? Well, I have, over the past few months, gathered these kind of like one-off questions that I get, say, on like Twitter or in conversations in a notebook. These questions have to do with maybe bigger topics in user experience and design. You know, every so often you get something like, oh, what's the best way to do a carousel or how many menu items should I have? Like these kind of web-centric things that I definitely have opinions on, but I don't want to rehash all the time. So um, so what I've got here in my notebook, in my bullet journal, uh, is a list of, I think, interesting questions that I, from various users, that I am going to answer. And these are medium size biggish questions so I kind of expect in my head the way this is going to play out is that I might get two or three questions an episode um, of this kind of episode so I shouldn't burn through them too quickly and I'm going to call these because it's early morning and because I've got my coffee I've even got a little bit of a sore throat that I'm going to call these uh, coffee break cues and A's coffee break questions and answers um, and these coffee break episodes are going to be you um, posing questions and me opining on them. Um, yeah, so let's jump into it. If you like this kind of thing, please let me know. Um, I'm trying it out. I think it's kind of cool. I'm going to run out of questions sometime. I'm only going to bust these out every so often, but um, hit me up with questions on Twitter. I am at Scoyfield, or you can hit up the podcast at Metric Podcast. Uh, and there's a bunch of other ways you can get a hold of me. Just shoot me some questions, shoot me some fodder. Um, if you are in the LibuX Slack channel, that's got like 600 folks in there. Um, drop it in there too. Yeah. And so um, these actually might be the kinds of questions that ultimately get transcribed. Um, I don't usually transcribe the podcasts, but these might be ones that are neat enough that uh, they will have some value in prints you know i'm just kind of i'm just sort of thinking out loud i'm making this up as i go in fact everything i do i make up as i go so without further ado episode one of uh the metric podcast coffee breaks q a i'm up for other titles too at ingdrin <laughs> asks is there any certification for enterprise ux out there i've been working in this field for two years and that's where the question ends but i would throw in is certification worth it do those of us who have been on the other side of the table hiring ux folk care about your certification what about like degrees or you know if you have a bachelor's or master's or something in um, hci human computer interaction what value does that have loaded question here comes a more loaded answer so First things first, there is a certification. The Nielsen Norman Group provides a certification in user experience that actually uh, my friend and uh, previous uh, metric guest, uh, Tim Broadwater, has. And I think he would make the argument that it is definitely worth it. There probably are other certifications out there, but I think Nielsen Norman Group has possibly the most weight to it. Now, let's talk about what you get with a certification. Training. Good, grounded, professional training. You go away. You get trained. You put in time. And 
this gives you a foundation in uh, uh, user experience and service design. User experience as a holistic um, approach rather than the kind of training by osmosis you might have, especially if you work for a web firm or agency. In this case, this user experience you is probably conflated with user interface and graphic design or visual design. So when you're talking about UX, most of the time in those kind of jobs, you're really talking about things like animation and user flows. And while that is part of what UX is, it is not really what UX is. So a certification in user experience is going to give you this uh, fundamental holistic training that you may or may not get depending on your work experience. It's also a pretty wicked resume line. All things being equal, when you are going head-to-head for a position, uh, a certification in UX or being able to say that, um, like Tim does, that he's a certified user experience expert, goes a long way toward your credibility. Now, in web and technology, credibility by paper or credibility through proxy is um, has in the past not really been given all that much weight. I've been in hiring positions where um, we've overlooked a person with a computer science degree for like a high school dropout who just has loads of experience and who has a portfolio. This is, I think, going to be true going forward generally. Not that the degree is worthless, it's not, or the certification is worthless, it's not. But the portfolio is always going to speak higher. Those of you who don't have prior experience or don't have writing or um, other kind or, or, or have yet been able to establish a name for yourself in the field, uh, a certification is a good way to level up and level up quickly and especially get you into positions that um, otherwise might go for uncertified folks that who have the user experience. Now, I say this has previously been the case. I still think it largely is, but we are approaching a time where... Uh, design, whatever you affix that to, whether that's web design or service design, increasingly it's it's not a crowded field, not yet. It's a popular field. So the competition is going to get a little bit harder. And we're, there, in an episode of Metric, I don't know, some long time ago, maybe even before it was called Metric, I think it was with my friend uh, Gene Felisme, we were talking about freelance and where the freelance jobs are going. And me coming out of uh, higher education, my experience and observation is that um, 
You know, increasingly, uh, organizations are finding that it just makes better financial sense to have an in-house team. So in-house teams, in-house agencies, whatever you want to call them, are uh, proliferating. Um, shoot, libraries have their own web designers now, and that really wasn't the case three to five years ago. Um, in fact, they even have like departments. The New York Public Library has like a whole department of application developers. So, um, so what's going to happen, especially in semi-bureaucratic organizations like that, or organizations that require advanced degrees anyway, such as universities or libraries that have essentially a master's degree barrier before you can even apply, um, certification and degrees are going to be the key to that gate. I don't think that's right. I don't think the training that you get in uh, most curricula is particularly useful, um, at least not yet. I also think it can be incredibly overpriced. Things like Full Sail University, these for-profit um, colleges, you know, are going to put you back, you know, fifty to sixty thousand dollars for a bachelor's when you can spend a fraction of that on a boot camp like Ironhack in Miami or something like that. So, uh. What's worth more, uh, certification from like one of these boot camps or from Nielsen Norman Group or a bachelor's in HCI or computer science or something like that? Good question. My money would be on the certifications right now um, plus portfolio. So certification plus portfolio I think outweighs uh, an advanced degree without portfolio. So, um, so there is that. Now, if you're already in a position where this is the kind of work that you do, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's weird. I really should loop uh, guests in for these kind of uh, Q's and A's. Um, and I'm curious what Tim would have to say. Um, Tim, if you're listening, maybe record like a response. I, I'd love to like maybe play it um, next time around. But at my position, would I get a certification to again advance my career? My colleagues are in this in a similar bind where they're like, oh, maybe I, sh I should go for a PhD so I can get a director's job, or maybe I should get a second master so I can become a sub uh, subject specialist. And um, oh, this this kind of thinking hurts me in so many ways not just because in part it's true because we have job descriptions that require these kind of inane degrees and i'm not sure add that much value um you have to decide if you're an enterprise ux uh perhaps you are more in a situation where job descriptions or job requirements prerequisites require degrees and certifications but maybe they don't so this will be sort of a gamble for you it's actually something i've been thinking about do i want to be uh get certification through nielsen norman group specifically again my friend speaks very highly of the program so and he's really good at what he does and he was probably really good at what he does before certification but now he's i i'm sure he would say he's better because of it and it shows yeah i don't know it's a cost benefit ratio analysis it's up to you. It's a big question. I think the trend, especially for in-house uh, work and like big organizations, especially the bigger the organization, the more likely you're going to need some kind of certification. But maybe that's not true. This is technology, but you know, UX isn't just technology. 
I just uh, last week I thought I was making the same arguments about project management and project managers and uh, project management certification is uh, often required in these jobs, which was news to me, even though they're in tech. And that certification isn't easy to get. You need a lot of experience before you even qualify for that kind of certification. So I don't know, like, uh, you know, a few years ago, reading the tea leaves, I think I would have been wrong. I would have said, you know, you don't need certification. You don't need this kind of thing. You need practical experience. But now, what's more, the problem with blank design, user experience or service design, and it's something that I've argued in a lot of talks and I argue in a lot of writing, and I say a lot here, that our lack of a consistent definition for what the user experience is or what a user experience designer does uh, negatively impacts our profession as such that you may have a ton of experience in your UX job title, but what you do isn't UX. You're making user flows and you're, you're animating stuff. That ain't UX. Next question. Glass Popsicle writes, uh, does it make sense to have UX designers make visual design choices? There have been design choices made by someone with a PhD in UX that I've questioned. I've noticed poor choice of iconography or placement of elements on first sight and so on. And I think this has a little bit to do with what I just said with regarding the previous question that um, doesn't this lack of definition of what UX is. Someone has a PhD in UX. Um, does that qualify him or her as a visual designer? Does that mean they're good at that kind of work? Not necessarily. <laughs> they may feel entitled to that kind of work because they have an advanced degree and since nobody can agree what UX is, then clearly UX means everything. Here's the deal. I consider myself, although it took a long time, it took a long time of kind of like grinding down this sense of imposter syndrome. I consider myself a user experience designer. My LinkedIn profile says something like, I'm a pretty good designer of the user experience and service variety. And... um. I really suck at graphic and visual design. That is not my forte. What do I do? Well, I tie the numbers that businesses or organizations care about to experience or experiential metrics, customer satisfaction, etc. So, if I were to like do like a series of Kano model surveys and find out that um folks are really dissatisfied with the aesthetics of a web presence or um, branding or something like that, I can see that, like, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the visual design for bleh is not doing this uh, business, this product or service any service, or it's not doing it any service. I stumbled over my words there. But you get the idea. That does not mean that I know what the answer is. I have some ideas. I mean, you do this enough, you get an eye for what good design is, but good user experience design is not good graphic design, good aesthetic design. They're not the same. Not the same. Not the same. Tell your PhD in UX that. Tell them to go back and revisit that PhD in UX. Come on. He should know that. Um, they are not 
the same. What should that PhD in UX be doing? Tying these parts of the puzzle together so that you can later make a change in the visual design and see if it positively impacts customer satisfaction or something like that. Don't like, let the visual designers do what the visual designers do best, right? Gah. That's why this lack of um, cons consistent definition of user experience is uh, detrimental. This PhD in UX doesn't know what he or she is talking about. You tell him I said that. Tropicalia asks, I want to do a Gorilla usability test, and I was wondering if it's okay to ask participants to draw or sketch his or her thoughts as well. Yeah, why not? I'm trying to figure out where this question might be coming from, and my gut feeling is that it's coming from a place of research ethics or good practice, where to get the best possible, most honest response from a uh, test sometimes involves not asking the direct question, what do you think about such and such, but letting your test reveal truths or, or designing a test around a larger scenario or addressing a different question when your goal is to have an answer for another one. Most of the time, for most studies, a usability study does not an ethnographic study make. There are specific requirements in universities for IRB approval um, that have more to do with the participants' anonymity, uh, privacy, but the usefulness of your test probably isn't going to extend into, oh, I don't know, health or life or death or, or really, really um, objectively significant scenarios. If you're doing a usability test on the layout of a website or, um, a, or you're observing a journey through such and such, you're going to hit, you know, 80% of the major usability pain points with a relatively small sample size and even poorly engineered questions, your usability test doesn't have to be a professional research study for it to have a lot of positive impact or even be correctly interpreted for most things. Now, you know, once you get into, once you've ironed out many of your, oh, usability problems, you've observed the major touch points, the more acute the tweak you're looking to make, the better the question has to be. Don't sweat too much biasing your user one way or the other. Now, if that has nothing to do with your question, if you're just asking like, hey, can I have this person draw or sketch? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's sort of like a core tenet to a lot of different kinds of tests, uh, especially like low budget ones like this uh, uh, XO participatory design where you essentially print out a screenshot and have them cross things off and circle things. And maybe on the back of it, you, they sketch out something else. So um, what you want is um, some sort of uh, 
method post survey that you can aggregate all these sketches and see and, and see what common patterns are and however you interpret that. But no, go for it. Go for it. Just the, the whole point of a gorilla usability test is that you are getting people um, in the middle of you're interrupting somebody's process, whatever that process is, whether they're going from point A to point B, they're shopping, they're doing something like that. So you need to be brief and respectful of their time. Keep it to five minutes or less. Have them draw or sketch, but um, you know what? If you're going to take them aside and take 15 minutes of their day, respect the fact that after about like five minutes or so, they may or may not feel resentment for you pulling them aside or regret for accepting your invitation. So you know what? Like, Make it win-win. Keep it five minutes or less. And if you can weasel a sketch or draw into it, you know, go for it. And uh, let's leave it there. We're getting pretty close to 30 minutes, so uh, we'll wrap it up. This has been the very first uh, metric coffee break Q&A. I hope you like it. I think there are a couple of interesting questions there. So let me know what you think. If you like this episode, consider leaving a review in your podcatcher of choice or rating or recommending on Twitter or something like that. This is how the podcast grows and it goes a long way. And um, we'll just end it there. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you next time. Bye.